0: This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Jouar.
1: Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joir, and today is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021, and my guest is Gavin of Gavin's Gadgets. Hi, Gavin. How are you? I'm good, thanks,
0: Miriam. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty great. You're coming all the way from the UK. I'm here in in the Pacific Northwest, where I'm just road tripping a little bit in my camper van. You know, it's kind of lovely to have you on because I've been following your photography in particular because you're a mobile photographer like I am
0: for many years, and I really love your work. Oh, thank you. That's very kind to say. Well, I do live in a very lovely place in the sort of southwest of uh, UK, the UK, and uh, I live in Dartmoor National Park, so it's a very rural, rugged landscape with some very interesting places to photograph.
1: Awesome. Well, we have a few things I want to talk about. It's actually been a pretty slow news week, mm. and I'm, you know, I was trying to put together the topics, and I was just like, well, maybe we'll just end up talking about camera phones, because that seems like the logical thing for us to do, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All okay. right, let's start with the OnePlus Nord N200 5G. I realize this is not a product you will be getting in the UK, but um, I don't know if you've been following the OnePlus saga for the last few years and most recently with the Nord lineup and the whole Carl Pay leaving and the whole opification. I've been using that word, I think I kind of coined it, of OnePlus in the last year or two. Um, And most importantly now, we have this... um you know, kind of Nord line that's, at least for the US market, sort of degraded into the budget segment. And, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. Clearly, the phones are flying off the shelves. People are really buying these two, three hundred US dollar phones. And so I can't fault them for taking a share of the market away from Moto, which has the Moto G line, which is very popular in North America for this Price point. But at the same time, the, um, these, these phones have been a little iffy. They don't really feel like OnePlus phones. So this new N200 5G, we discussed in the last podcast, but at the time it was still under embargo, the review. So I finally got my review up. You can read it. It's on hot hardware. I'll put it in the show notes, the link. Also, you can watch my unboxing video as well. It's kind of slots between the, N100, which is a US 4G phone we got last year for 180 US dollars, which is a Snapdragon 460. And between that and the N10 5G, which we got last year, which is a Snapdragon 690. And the N10 5G, you know, was about 300 US dollars. So this new one slots between those two at 240 US dollars. So, I'm going to let you guess what processor that uses and what they've done in terms of specs to kind of fit into that price point. Any guesses?
0: Well, they've probably used a, a lot a sort of a, a Snapdragon 4 series, probably 480.
1: Yep, you're correct 100%. That's the only Snapdragon right now that is a 5G chip in the 400 series, the 480. So, that's what they did. And mm. it's interesting because, you know, the Snapdragon 480 5G is kind of a bit of a misnomer in terms of nomenclature i feel like it doesn't really fit the 600 series at all it it, in terms of performance it's more of a six mid-level 600 chip right but it's built on the eight nanometer process so it's more like it's more of a cousin to the 690 that's on the n10 5g but it's labeled a 4 series for some reason and so the only difference really is you lose a tiny bit of performance to match a lower price point but architecturally those two chips the 695g and the 485g are very similar in, and i'm surprised they decide to go ahead and name that a 400 level chip frankly
0: yeah it's amazing though you think you've got that price in a 5g phone with that level of performance it's pretty awesome really
1: frankly it's not bad like look Ooh. I'll be honest, this is kind of what I wrote in my review. The The original OnePlus Nord, the, the one you got with a 765G, to me, that phone was kind of a return to form for OnePlus. It did really feel like a somehow, almost like a never settle slash flagship killer, right? It had that feel, right? I don't know how to explain it. It had the alert slider, you know, it added some really cool functionality. And the 765G felt very close to the 865 on the OnePlus 8 Series last year. And, you know, they really optimized the crap out of Oxygen OS to really make it sing on that phone. And if you put them side by side with the 8 Series, you really weren't losing much. And in terms of price, it is still today, I think, unbeatable. I think you 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 have the new CE 5G, right? Nord CE 5G. 5G in the UK, and that slots yeah. between the Nord original and this Nord N10 that we got last year with the 690 in it. And frankly, I've seen the pricing for that Nord in the UK, the new one, the CE, and I would buy the original, even though it's nine months old or almost a year old now, because I still think it's a killer value of a phone, you know?
0: Yeah, that 765 is is a very good processor. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. You know, that's where I came from when I actually reviewed this phone. Like, I came into it as this is going to be not as good as a Nord original because nothing that they've done on the Nord series so far has been as good as the Nord original. But the first time I reviewed the Nord And 10 like last year, that that 690 phone, I was so disappointed because I was expecting them to at least get close to, you know, the performance of the original Nord in some way to just beat it in price and cut a few corners. But instead we got essentially an Oppo phone, like no alert slider, you know, fingerprint sensor in the back. And we got this really shiny plastic build that was a fingerprint mag. It just didn't feel premium. It didn't look premium. And then the performance, even though, the Nord original was so fast that 690 even with oxygen optimized for it just didn't cut it it just didn't sing and it had lost that pizzazz that one plusness you know that special sauce that you feel when you use a one plus phone so I was very disappointed with the N10 5G and so I went into this N200 review going well it's de- it's even cheaper so let's let it lower our expectations and you know what I was actually pleasantly surprised because it turns out that Design has a lot to do with the experience, right? And even though this is again a rebranded Oppo phone, this is like I think a an Oppo A54 5G that they removed some of the camera features from. You know, if you look at it for what it is at the 240 US dollar price point for our market, which is not the most competitive in terms of pricing in this category, and you look at the design aspects of this phone, they've done a really good job. So, gone is the fingerprint magnet, shiny plastic, cheap-looking, feeling materials. They've gone with this kind of matte satin flatter back panel that feels in more like the uh, Xiaomi Mi 11 Lite in terms of, um, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of hand feel, very thin. And they've gone with a matte finish gradient. So, it's like... It changes from a dark blue to a light blue, and the, the rails, the, the frame is plastic too. It's all plastic, except for the front glass. The, the frame on the sides also has that that uh, gradient that matches, and but it's shiny on the frame. And then it's got this blue metallic camera pod that looks like it's pulled right out of the Reno series. And it just looks like a million bucks, and it feels like a million bucks. And the fingerprint sensor is in the power lock key, which I feel, is more modern, even though I do think that ergonomically having it in the back actually makes more sense, I feel that it looks dated. You know, even the pixels in 2020 look dated because they have the fingerprint sensor in the back. So you can't put it under display here because it's an IPS panel. So the fingerprint sensor being on the power lock key really makes this phone, together with its design, feel more fancy than it is but not in a shintzy way. You know what I'm saying? And that is a huge improvement of the N10 5G for $60 less, right? So that's kind of cool. And the other thing that I like about it is that it retains the same quality display from the N10. So it's an IPS 1080p. You know, it's 6.4 something inches, 6.49. And it's got a 90 Hertz refresh rate. So you're talking about a solid level of display quality. It doesn't look bad either. And it's right the same display as the N10 5G. They just took it. So they lowered the processor, but they got better design. And the other thing they cut down is instead of 6 gigs of RAM, 128 gigs, they went down to 4 gigs, 64 gigs. So that's a little, mm-hmm. you know, 4 gigs is iffy on Android. 64 gigs is not a lot of storage. Thankfully, it's got microSD. You know, it has a headphone jack, has NFC, so you can do Google Pay, all that is nice. And then the, the final blow, as it were, the final thing where they're able to save money is the camera. This actually uses a camera system from the N100 instead of the camera system of the N10. And it means that it's a 13 megapixel main sensor, two megapixel macro, and two megapixel monochrome assist sensor for low light. And, you know, as you're hearing me speak these as a camera phone nerd yourself, what is your
0: what is your thoughts immediately? Well, we can two megapixel macros, kind of like, well okay, let's pass on that one, and the two megapixel monochrome Y. so what you really got is one sensor, 13 megapixel main sensor is going to do most of the lifting on that. so that's the one that matters in terms of quality. The rest don't probably.
1: You 100% nailed it. This front camera is lifted from the N10, so it's a 16-megapixel camera, and that one's actually pretty decent. I mean, it's the same 16 that's been on every OnePlus phone that has a 16-megapixel camera. You know, the f2.1 lens, it's really not that special, but at least it's a, it's a known quantity. So basically, this 13-megapixel camera is the only thing you get to play with, but there's a 2x button in the interface, which turns out, like many times you see on a modern phone today, that if you want to do a macro shot, hit 2x and pull back a little bit from your subject. And you if you get close enough to it that you can still focus, you get a macro shot. It's actually pretty decent and usable. And that's how I took a lot of my macro shots for this review. I did put a macro uh, photo in my review proper, but that is... um taken with the 2 megapixels just to actually document what it looks like. And it was in good lighting, so it looks okay. But without autofocus, you can't use that macro. So you're right. It's basically a single 13 megapixel sensor. And so here's the thing. It's not spectacular. F over 2.2, no OIS, uh, phase detect, autofocus. But hey, guess what? It does have a great ISP behind it. Because this Snapdragon 480 chip is pretty much brand new. And it's contrary to the 400 series and even most of the 600 series chips has a much more modern ISP. And I have to say, I'm not quite sure who's done the work here, OnePlus or Qualcomm. But we know that sensor isn't spectacular in any way. But what the ISP is doing with that sensor really impressed me. I'm not saying this is a phone that can even remotely compete with something like a Pixel 4a even, right? But for $100 more, it certainly feels like a better camera than the Moto G series, most of them, even the ones with the 48-megapixel sensors. And... Wow. The N10 has a 64 megapixel, a really cheap Omnivision sensor in it that is crap. And frankly, I think the 13 megapixel in this camera with the ISP from the 480 heavily leaning on that actually produces potentially better photos than the 64 megapixel pixel bin sensor on the N10 5G with the Snapdragon 690. I could be wrong. I'd have to like put them side by side on the exact same subjects to really get a feel. But that's empirically from my experience. I I had both phones side by side a few times, but I didn't photo side by side. And it's interesting to me because I think that the Omnivision sensor is just not very well tuned in terms of software. Mm. Whereas whatever it is they're using on this, uh could be a, a Samsung or maybe a Sony sensor, is probably has you know better tuning on the Qualcomm ISP, so it just performs better.
0: Well, yeah, definitely. It sounds like the Qualcomm's doing a good job there on the ISP. So basically, you know, that's kind of my
1: takeaway on this phone. It's, you're definitely cutting corners. The biggest, I think, most challenging compromise you're making is with the RAM and storage. And, but display is fantastic uh, for the price. I think that the processor holds its own. It's not that much worse than the 690, which isn't spectacular. But if you come in with that expectation, unlike last time I came into one of those cheaper budget Nords. I was coming from the original Nord, which is almost a flagship. It was a big shock. This is, this is manageable if you know where you're going. And uh, the design is really, really nice. It feels good in hand. It looks good. It, you know, looks fancier than it costs. And, you know, the camera is the only thing you're really giving up a little bit. But at that price point, I think it's acceptable. So for this market, where pricing is very different than the Chinese market, you know, India or whatever, where everybody would laugh hysterically at the specs of this phone for $240. You know, when I can find like buy a Redmi Note 10 or something, you know, for the same price and it just blows it away. Um, But I think that for this market, it's pretty impressive. And it's a 5G phone and I did test it on T-Mobile's network. It's coming actually as a T-Mobile phone. They have an exclusive with OnePlus on this one, and I was getting 300 megabits down, you know, 25 megabits up in the middle of nowhere. That's really nice to have on a 240 dollar phone, you know.
0: Well, that's the perspective, isn't it? In your market, to have a phone at that price point doing 5G, that looks nice. I think is uh, is great for you guys to have that. We don't
1: have a lot of that, so I think that's a big improvement for us. It's a step forward, and mm. you know. I'd rather have that than a Moto G that doesn't have NFC that, you know, has just as mediocre cameras. And yeah, I don't know. I think they're kind of similar in some ways because the Moto G also has very straightforward, clean software. Right. And the, the, Moto G's a lot of them now have 5G here in the US using. There's one with the 580 as well, the the one I reviewed last week, the Moto G Stylus 5G. And then there's a few that are Snapdragon 600 4G phones out there. But I think this is nice cuz it gives you another option with Oxygen OS and NFC which, you know, even pre-pandemic this market was very strong on using contactless payment. So now it's ubiquitous. You can go anywhere in the US and pretty much use your phone to pay. So you want that feature even on the cheapest phones, right? And uh, it's nice to see it here. Um, In terms of battery, this has a 5,000 milliamp hour battery. It's big, it lasts forever on that chip. Two days is easily achieved. It has 18 watt charging, which is not the fastest, but considering the Galaxy S21 series has 25 watt charging, you know, I'm not gonna complain. The uh, previous model, the N10 5G, had a 30-watt uh, warp charging, which was an, obviously a little better, but it's $300. You can still buy this $300 phone. It's just that, as I said, in terms of design and hand feel, this new one is night and day better. So it really depends what your priorities. is. If you want the specs and you're willing to live with a phone that has kind of a mad design, the N10 is your phone. If you want a much more premium-looking phone, but you're not too picky about the specs and you want to save $60, you know, the other one is, the N200 5G is the one you want to look at. But that being said, you know, overall, I'm a little, I would say, annoyed that OnePlus is having to kind of go in this direction, you know, to, (laughs) to stay competitive, right? Like, it really shouldn't have to be that way. I feel like we should be able to see more of what the original
0: Nord was,
1: even in this market, we never got the original Nord. So,
0: did you get a chance to play with the original Nord at all? I did, I did, and it was it was all right. It was a I would say it was a one plus phone in DNA, and it was a nice phone. But I still prefer a phone with a decent camera, so it wouldn't have the uh, it wouldn't be for me. But for someone else, yeah, it was a nice phone.
1: Well, I felt like the original Nord at least had OIS on a 48 megapixel Sony IMX 586. I mean, it was, if you ran like the Google camera port on it, it was a pretty solid camera system. Yeah, you know? it would be
0: with that, yeah.
1: I mean, it's not what we're using, a like Galaxy S21 or iPhone, you know, 12 Pro Max or P40 Pro Plus from Huawei. You know, we're not mm. talking about that level of performance, but I felt that, you know, the Nord on paper, the original had the same camera specs mm. as the 8 and the 8T, essentially. So that's not bad. Now, they're, they were a little old in terms of sensor, right? So the 586 has been around mm. for a while, but it's a solid sensor. It's easy to tune. It's well known. The ISPs are very good at supporting its features. As such, I felt that they did a good job with the Nord and I could have lived with it as a camera system. Whereas with this, yeah, this is not, you know, this is definitely budget. And it does fall apart very quickly in low light. Like the night mode helps up to a point and then it's like falls off a cliff, you know?
0: Oh, god, yeah.
1: Yeah, you put it side by side, with even like a Pixel 4a and it's like night mode on the Pixel 4a is just a whole dimension better, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: So that's kind of what I learned from this experience with this phone. <laughs> so how do you feel about this OnePlus evolution? Now we we just find out like this is the, the next item on the list we just find out that OnePlus is actually going to become an Oppo sub-brand right there's a memo that was leaked from internally from OnePlus or Oppo and you know Pete Lau is very clear in that memo that this is it the opification is complete down to the point where it is just a sub-brand now not its own thing how do you feel about that
0: Well I think it's really the same as it's always been because OnePlus and oppo they're all um, part of bbk and you can't tell me they weren't sharing ideas and resources at some point or have some plan that they were going to just build these brands out make out they were independent just to get the, the sales through and then merge them together i think it's a good idea because it'll save some money i think that's the obviously with smartphone sales perhaps uh flatlining a little bit maybe they need to cut some costs so I'm for it, but I I hope we don't lose that Oxygen OS, that really smooth operating system that they have.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. I think that, you know, I'm a little bummed that, you know, I don't know. The Nord was a kind of a last glimmer of hope for me in the sense that it really did live up to that Never Settle and that flagship killer kind of vibe still. And I thought that with Carpe driving the whole Nord brand, that it would actually be better, that things would improve. And we never got to see that. In fact, it just got budgeted and cheapened with this other Nord phones since. And Carl Pay left to do his own thing, right? So that kind of has me a little worried. I mean, here's what I think is really happening. I think that Oppo is the brand that has two brands, right? <laughs> Essentially. Yeah, yeah. Oppo has Oppo in most of the world. And then Oppo has OnePlus in the US, in North America and Canada, and in some markets like India and Europe, potentially, where they might have Oppo as well, but that, you know, they might have better brand recognition with OnePlus. And that's where we're at now. But what I was really hoping would happen with the Nord series last year and after the OnePlus 8 series, which is getting very expensive, was that we were going to get two tiers of OnePlus. We were going to get... The flagships, no cost issue, like go nuts, like we are getting today mm. with the OnePlus 9 series and last year with the OnePlus 8 series. And we were going to get the Nord series, which was going to become the new Never Settle flagship killer brand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I didn't think that the Nord series were going to go down into this budget territory below mid-range in any way, yet here we are. And I have a, honestly a feeling that the conversation was very similar between Cape and Pete Lau. And that's potentially why Carl left, right? He wanted to do that. And, you know, Pete comes from Oppo and Pete is looking at the economies of scale, right? And the fact that, that now that the brand is established in some markets like North America and that the pricing is almost on par with Samsung's Galaxy's pricing in some areas like the US. Well, then why not, you know, go ahead and, uh, do this, you know, merging of the two brands and then you deliver Oppo wherever Oppo is popular, you deliver OnePlus wherever OnePlus is popular. And, you know, the phones are slightly different. They run slightly different OS's, sure. But I think that's kind of makes sense financially, but it kind of kills the whole, you know, Android nerd, Android fan early adopter tech savvy angle that OnePlus had and maybe gives that away to Realme now or gives that away to Poco or gives that away to, I don't know, other up-and-coming brands, you know? And that's a disappointment for me.
0: Yeah. It is. I think you're right as well. I think maybe they're going to use OnePlus as the carrier phone, the carrier brand. So in the markets like North America, UK, Europe, India, and then they'll use the Realme and Poco for the, you know, uh, lots of spec for your money, the budget end. Maybe that's what they're going to try and do. But um, it is a shame, though, definitely.
1: Yeah, I-, I think that it's it's a chapter that's, you know, been flipped. It's a, it's a new chapter, and I'm not super excited about it. But I have to admit, look, the OnePlus 9 series are great phones. I think the OnePlus 9 base is a bit, cheapened by the plastic frame and the lack of OIS I think is a massive mistake because that really shouldn't exist on a phone that has a Hasselblad brand on it. Uh, you know, that's my yeah. opinion. I've talked about this in my review, but I've, you know, maybe they'll course correct on that because look at the prices they're asking. In the US, you can only get the 12 gig version of the OnePlus 9 Pro and it costs, you know, $1,100 US. At that price, you can buy a Galaxy S21 Ultra. There's always sales and discounts on that phones because, you know, Samsung is so mighty in terms of marketing and has so much control over the carriers. And most people buy their phone through carriers that you end up, you know, having this good deal on a Samsung phone anytime you want,
0: right? So Yeah, that's the, hard, that's the advantage Samsung has in terms of the deals and the offers. They're pretty awesome, actually on the deals you get
1: yeah so basically the way i look at this is you know we're gonna get you know this this one plus being one of the big players in the u.s you know really there's only three brands right now apple samsung and one plus lg used to be the third and they're gone and moto has never played much in the flagship space and because they haven't played in the flagship space they're not very competitive because most americans buy their phones on contract through carriers and buy the flagships because they want the Coolest phone to show their friends and they don't look at the long-term price or cost, you know, through a subsidy. Mm. So they don't care. And so, you know, if you look at flagships right now, that's really the choices you have. There's really not that much else. We don't get Xiaomi phones. We don't get Oppo. You know, we don't get real Vivo. So, you know, what else is there? There was LG, there, Moto is there, but he's more in the low mid range. And then trying to think Sony. Well, that's a niche player, right? What else mm. would there
0: be? So for you, yeah. For us, yeah, not much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all this to say that this is a bit of a sad moment, a new chapter, and I think we just have to accept it. And for those of us who are enthusiasts, you know, maybe the Pixel brand is the where we should be looking now that we hear all these exciting rumors about the Pixel Six. That's going to be hopefully doing some wonderful things, right?
0: The Pixel Six Pro or the XL, have they decided, sir? So. Name it. It's going to be awesome. Really awesome. That's
1: how I feel. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's going to be really good. Definitely.
1: So that's kind of where I'm at with this, and you know, it's a bummer though. I would have really thought it would have been more like what I think Carpe had envisioned with the Nord being a whole new category of devices that were really awesome, right? But that's not been the case. So. And then, you know, look at this. I can now tell people to go buy a $240 OnePlus that is actually pretty okay. You know, it's not the best, but that's not something I could say before. Exactly. So maybe, maybe there is, maybe they have a point there. And, you know, I got to also remember, as somebody who reports on US products, that the previous cheap Nords, uh, the N10, 5G, and the N100 sold like hotcakes, they flew off the shelves. So maybe there's a good strategy to be had here, right? But it does water down the brand. It does water down the commitment to
0: the core audience, right? It does, but I think that the budget to mid-price tier, that's where a lot of people are buying phones because you know, it's $200, it's a lot less than $1000. So I think Yeah. I think that's where they score. Definitely.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, so Let's move on to the next topic real quick. I want to talk with you about the speaking of crazy camera phones. Did you see the sharp phone that came out a little while back? It's yeah. basically the um the sharp Aquas R six
0: the lovely one inch sensor Oh
1: right, so you're familiar mm. with that. Yeah, yeah. What were your thoughts on that when, when you read about it? Obviously, it's a Japan-only product, but were you excited or were you like, ah, it's another one of those like Panasonic, that that large sensor phone a while back? you remember that? Well, it's of
0: like everything. The sensor's great on paper, but is the processing, the ISP, will it deliver? And my only other thing is, what about ultra-wide lenses? What about telephoto? Will that one-inch sensor, you could do the telephoto. But will it, how will it, is it, what's its um, field of view? I suppose is the answer. So is it an all in one lens that you could just use for everything? And if it takes good photos, it's all about quality of the shots. So I'm intrigued. I think it's the answer. I'd love to give it a go and see how it compares. But uh, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely.
1: I mean, for me, it's more about like, I don't know, I think that I'm, this sounds, Sounds like I need to see a review from someone based in Japan before I can really mm. make up my mind. And the other thing that nobody seems to be able to answer, the question I have is, does this thing have OIS? Because it, it needs it. You know, I'm I just sick and tired of seeing phones with large sensors and pretty crazy potential computational mm. you know, prowess not have the basics of what you expect in terms of hardware, right? Like a fast lens, good autofocus, and an OIS should be par for the course,
0: right? So definitely, and maybe that's why. If this, if there's more one-inch sensors that go into more flagship type phones, maybe we'll see that OIS, um, fast focus, you know, good dynamic range, and the rest of it. So anyway, all this to say that Leica has released this phone called
1: the Lights Phone One. Lights is like the original brand Leica used for their cameras. And it's essentially a rebadge Sharp Arcos R6, which came out a few weeks ago. It's got a 240 hertz refresh rate on the display, which is crazy if you ask me, but hey, it's there. And uh, it's got that crazy sensor as we discussed. And you know, for me it's a matter of seeing a review of the camera to see if it's any good i'd love to see if it has ois or not i'd love to see how the isps on the snapdragon 888 can handle the you know working on with such a large sensor obviously it is what 50 megapixels is it
0: i think it's around that yeah definitely
1: so 50 megapixels would be fine i mean the 888 can handle i think up to 108 megapixel so as a main sensor so i think it should be okay but it'll be interesting to see how that develops because I have a feeling that this sensor is the same sensor we're going to see on the P fifty series, at least the P fifty Pro and Pro Plus. Like I think it's a Sony sensor, and I think it's this rumored IMX eight hundred sensor, a one inch, fifty megapixel sensor that Sony is designed specifically for cameras in phones. So
0: know I get very excited about that. So, so if
1: it's if that's the case and there's a YS on this thing, I expect it to kick some serious ass, and I expect we are going to see this on the P50 series, accompanied by another bunch of sensors and lenses. Whereas here, it's the only lens in the back of the phone. So you know. So what I'm saying to you is, if you're listening to this podcast, I would suggest that unless you're in Japan and you can just buy this and return it to the carrier if you don't like it, I would say you stay put. And you see how it evolves, what the reviews are on this, and find out if Huawei ends up using the same sensor on the P50 series, so that you can decide if you want to import a Huawei phone that doesn't have GMS, which is also another can of worms. But hey, you know, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and that ties in with our rumors on the P50 Pro series, by the way. It's supposed mm. to have a, a massive ultra wide sensor. So. Yeah. In addition to, as you can see in the here, they're detailing the fact that it might have a that new Sony IMX 800 one-inch sensor. In which case, it would have also a one over one point one eight-inch sensor, which is bonkers big for an ultra wide. But again, you know, Huawei has done some pretty large ultra wide sensors in the past. That 40 megapixel on the P40 series and the Mate 30 series last year was pretty great
0: right definitely definitely
1: have you used those phones much
0: i've had the mate uh, 40 pro i've had the p40 pro so yeah i've used both those phones
1: and the mate 40 pro to me was a bit disappointing because it doesn't doesn't have ois on the main sensor but the and it has a 20 megapixel ultra wide that has larger pixels so it doesn't pixel bin but it has a the P40 Pro and the Mate 30 Pro had the 40 megapixel pixel bin ultra wide. Mm. And have you used a P40 Pro Plus at all?
0: No, didn't get that one, unfortunately. That's
1: the one you really need to try to play with because if you've played with the Galaxy S21 Ultra, yep. like the S21 Ultra feels like a P40 Pro Plus with GMS. Like in terms of camera performance, those two are pretty much a wash. They are phenomenal camera phones, in my opinion, both of them.
0: With lots of flexibility, I loved having, with the S21 Ultra, the difference in those two telephoto lenses as well. So you could go, was it three times and ten times, wasn't it, in optical zoom? Correct, on both of them, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and that's fantastic.
1: And so the reason I think you should get yourselves hands on a P40 Pro Plus just to borrow for a little while or ask the PR folks in the UK to send you one, even though it's a little old now, I mean, maybe you 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 will skip directly to the P50 series since we're talking about them, but it's because they're doing some crazy fusion between the sensors. Like in my review that I wrote for Gear Diary of the P40 Pro Plus, I came to discover by talking with the engineers at Huawei and by kind of experimentation that when you take a telephoto shot at 10x or at 3x with one of the telephoto lenses, you get a 12 megapixel photo, 12.5. And so, if you quickly think about this, Gavin, what's the resolution of the sensor on the 3 megapixel and the 8 megapixels? Sorry. What's the resolution on the 3X and 10X zoom lenses on the P40 Pro Plus?
0: Oh, I don't remember. I'm sure it's... Eight. It's
1: eight, is it? Eight megapixels. So, Mm. here you go. Do you not find that odd that I get a 12.5 megapixel photo out of these telephotos when the sensor is only an 8 megapixel?
0: Yeah definitely
1: well guess why go on then it's using the main sensor as well they're ah, actually doing sensor fusion
0: that's pretty cool isn't it
1: yeah it's insane and that's why in low light there, you look at the specs on that eight megapixel sensor like i think the 10x has like a f over 4.3 or 3.4 like it's a very very slow lens mm. and it has you know tiny like 1.1 two micron pixels. You're like, how am I getting this level of low-light performance on this telephoto? You're not. You're getting it from the main sensor. It's grabbing the pixels from that eight megapixel array. It's combining that with pixel bin zoomed in like Pixels from the 50 megapixel on the main sensor, and combining like to get chroma and luma data from both, and just like crunching it through the computational bucket, and it comes out the other end as a really good-looking photo. It's kind of mind-blowing. I don't even think Samsung is doing that with the S21 Ultra.
0: No, I don't think they are. But I'm gonna have to try this P40 Pro Plus. Definitely. And this is why I think you should get your hands on one because I I think this
1: is a this is a shift. This is a different approach Mm. technically to the same results you get the S21. Ultra, and in my opinion, more advanced, but obviously, you know, potentially more risky is what I should say.
0: Yeah, I Yeah. Mm.
1: I know. Crazy stuff. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, it's as I said again, there hasn't been that much news this week. I wanted to mostly talk about the OnePlus Norton 200 5G because I reviewed it and uh, embargoes lifted and this big news of Oppo and OnePlus. And then these two, you know, phones that might share the same sensor, the lights phone from Leica and the uh, the P50 series. But, you know, I haven't been talking about this, even though there has been a bunch of rumors for a while now. What's your take on these Pixel folding phone rumors? I feel that there's enough momentum now that I, I want to kind of talk about it. Would you be into that?
0: I definitely think it's going to happen. Okay. I think it's, I, I think, I think because Google came out in their software um when was it, was it last year and they were when samsung came out the fair first folding the samsung fold was it fold yeah and they had worked with google in terms of some of the software firmware and software side so yeah it makes sense that with a year or two down the line everyone's doing folding phones so why wouldn't google i think it's a definite i think it's definitely gonna happen
1: I think that you're right, like logically, why wouldn't they? But at the same time, you know, go- this is Google and they've always behaved with the Nexus and then the Pixel line as if they had limited resources, you know, in the sense that yeah. they always, the phones run out of stock and, you know, they didn't go flagship this year because they, in 2020, I should say, not this year, because they were like, well, we don't, we, we'd rather keep the price affordable. We're going to go with a mid-range chip. And all this seems like, to me, seems like supply constraints, supplier limitation. And so now I see what they're planning to do with the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro. I'm super excited, but I also don't want this to be watered down and diluted because they're working on a third phone that's a folding phone when their resources are limited, right? But maybe their resources aren't. Maybe they finally switch things into gear and they're deciding that 2021 is the year Pixel becomes a thing. And so, you know, I don't know what to think, honestly. It's a bit tough right now.
0: Yeah, I think the um, component shortage might be the only thing that scuppers this because they are definitely, I think, the Pixel 6 is going to be a a real big leap forward over all the previous Pixel phones. It's got a much – it's the first time they've changed the cameras up, really changed the ante on the size of the lenses, the optics – They've got their own processor that's rumored to be in there as well. So if they can the focus will be on the standard phones, but if they've got enough parts and components, I still think that folding phone that folding pixel will definitely happen. But if there's a shortage of parts, then I think they'll focus their energies on the standard phones, the six and the six pro or six XL. Yeah. I
1: mean look, the bottom line for me is is that I'm not against the folding from from Pixel from Google. If it you know, mm. delivers on the camera experience. That would definitely be one of the first folding phones with superior cameras. Not that the Galaxy Fold Fold 2 were bad in terms of camera performance. They had, you know, a pretty solid 12 megapixel camera stack. And, you know, I use them and they, they, they perform pretty well, but they perform like 2019 level of performance, you know? Mm. And so with Pixel, we're going to get, at least with Pixel Six, we're going to get something you know superior, and so I'm hoping that this folding phone doesn't just match the existing Pixels in terms of camera imaging performance, but it it kind of meets what the Pixel Six is bringing to the table, right?
0: Yeah, I think if it yeah. uses a four a camera setup, then that'd be really disappointing.
1: Well, we'll find
0: out. it will, yeah.
1: One of my favorite phones of 2020 was the fan edition, the S20 fan edition, because even though it didn't have like the crazy 108 megapixel sensor, it did bring to the table some pretty nice cameras, I thought, for the money. And there is obviously been rumor of an S21 fan edition replacement for this year, but it looks like that keeps getting delayed because of uh, chip supply issues, and so... What is your take on 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 the uh, fan edition in general and this particular delay that we're hearing about?
0: Yeah, I did like the, the fan edition phone. I think it was excellent value. You got a lot of phone for your money, and I don't. I, I'm skeptical we'll actually see it this year. I think the components and chip shortage is a real problem. So it wouldn't surprise me if Samsung has decided to focus the parts they have got on their foldable range. And keep it, keep the stuff for that. Yeah, it's a bummer though
1: because I think that for people, I really feel like you know we spoke about OnePlus like length on this show, and I feel like the S twenty Fan Edition is basically out OnePlus, OnePlus at least in our market where we got the actual oh. Snapdragon eight six five version with a really great price point. I think it was six ninety nine US originally, and Just the only thing you gave up really was a plastic back like the base S21 does now. And the rest of the phone was everything that you could want for a 2020 phone, you know. The cameras were really quite decent. And I really would love to see what they would do with an S21 fan edition this year. But of course, now I'm a little concerned that we might not see it at all. Or if we do, it'll be very late in the year. But I hope that... Samsung uses this to out one plus one plus if there is even such a thing as out one plus one now that they're no longer the same one plus you know it kind of feels to me like Realme has taken that torch over by making phones like the Realme GT 5G right and to some extent we're seeing you know other entries like the ZT Axon 30 Ultra and of course you know there's also the red magic Six r now, which is a gaming phone that looks like a flagship, basically it sells for four ninety nine u s dollars with a snapdragon eight 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 It's pretty amazing, and good specs and better cameras than the other red magic phones, because since it's a gaming phone that looks like a flagship or a flagship that's disguised as a gaming phone, I don't know it has a pretty solid complement of cameras, unlike their pure gaming phones, which where cameras are an afterthought, you know? So.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So I think we're gonna start seeing some competition basically coming in and taking over where OnePlus once was. And part of that competition is gonna be the fan edition, which is why I hope it does eventually come out in some way or another.
0: Well, I hope so. Actually interesting in the UK, if you got the 5G version of the fan edition, it was actually the Snapdragon, they did a four G version, which was the Exynos. So actually for us, we could have had the fan edition actually was available to buy with a Snapdragon, whereas the normal S twenty one wasn't. Ah. It was interesting. all the Exynos. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Huh. Wow, that's yeah, it's always a bit weird with your in your market, right? Because the Exynos is still kind of so prevalent. I always feel like the the Samsung phones with Qualcomm chips are more efficient mm. and perform better.
0: I could be wrong, though. I think you're right, though personally, because I think they are—they perform better. They don't get as hot. They, um, the audio is better from them as well. Um, hopefully, hopefully, the, there's a new Exynos chip, and that's really good this year. We can only hope. Like every year, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to completely dismiss Exynos. I feel like. There is some merit to uh, having competition in the chip space, you know, and it's a bummer that Kirin is kind of dying because they have no resources to make chips and no ability to manufacture them. And that, you know, we don't have much competition with Qualcomm kind of being the main player. And of course, Apple has their own thing. But Yeah. yeah, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that Samsung can keep that going. And I think their partnership with a m d is is exciting in that sense, so we'll see how it goes. But it's the five g space where things matter, and I'm not quite sure they have the chops for the you know good five g connectivity and Qualcomm has a significant adventure that it's integrated in their s o c. now you know
0: that's right, and I think we'll just see what happens
1: yeah, I mean from a power efficiency perspective, you can't beat having it built in right
0: no totally
1: so yeah. let's see what happens there. So that's basically it for news. I think. Oh, there's one more. Samsung's going to have a watch event on June 28th as part of MWC, which is happening in Barcelona, uh, late June, early July. Since it, it got you know postponed because of COVID, I actually got you know accepted as media, which is not unusual. I usually get accepted as media at MWC, but in this circumstance of the COVID. You're still happening. I wasn't sure they would. I didn't really get a chance to get a sponsorship for flying and traveling out there. So I'm I'm just going to stay put. But I would have loved to go. And I'm not going (laughs) to, but I'm going to keep an eye on things. So Samsung is having essentially like an unpacked type event that's going to be about probably that Wear OS smartwatch with the new Wear OS that we know is coming, right?
0: Yeah, that could be very interesting because obviously that's... The joint initiative with Google, and obviously Google have um, bought Fitbit, so finally, finally, have Samsung's prowess with their uh, smartwatches. Google comes in with Fitbit and working together with Samsung, we might actually have something that can take on the Apple Watch on for the Android world. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm looking
1: forward to it because I've been a big fan of the Samsung Tizen watches and, Mm. you know, I would prefer the integration, the the deep integration that Wear OS brings to the table, but the Wear OS watches always, you know, in terms of battery life and functionalities, uh, like responsiveness have always been challenged. So if you can give me the Tizen responsiveness and battery life, but with the Wear OS Google services integration, I think I'm on board. That's kind of what I want, right?
0: Yeah, totally. Me too as well, definitely.
1: So I think this is going to be exciting, and that's why I wanted to let the audience know you should stay tuned for that. You should really keep an eye on it, see what comes out of it. So since we have a few more minutes, I wanted to know if you were up for discussing the state of camera phones. We talked about it a little bit. We talked about the P40 Pro Plus and how it uses this weird, crazy sensor fusion technology. You've, You've extensively played with the Galaxy S21 Ultra, correct?
0: Yes, I have, yeah.
1: And you played more than I have uh, with the iPhone 12 Pro Max and Pro Raw. Where do you think things are at? Like, to me, I think the iPhone is really great, but it's very limited because the telephoto is only, what, 2.2, 2.5X, something like that,
0: right? Optical? It's 2.5. Yeah. So, so if I take the S21 Ultra... If I take the iPhone 12 Pro Max and if I take the uh, Xiaomi Mi 11 Ultra, they are three phones I use heavily and they all have pros and cons. So um, if you take the S21 Ultra, it has phenomenal flexibility because it has all those different lenses, you know, different focal lengths. So if you're a tourist somewhere or you're traveling, you can do three, you can do 10 times optical, you can do ultra wide, you've got very good versatility where the iphone wins i think over the s21 ultra is with that lidar sensor so when the light starts to drop doesn't be dark when it starts when you're in a slightly dim environment it can focus faster and it seems to pick up um more details say you're taking a picture of someone; they're wearing a a shirt or a cardigan or it's a dog the fur will be more defined and more detailed, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and it's that type of shot where it has an edge, but it doesn't have the optical zoom prowess that the um S21 Ultra. I think the ultra wide lens in the S21 Ultra is slightly better than the one in the iPhone 12 Pro Max, but yeah, I agree. This is the big but if you switch on Pro Raw on the iPhone 12 Pro Max, and I've used Pro Raw an awful lot, suddenly you're getting a different level of quality. You're jumping from a two megapixel photo size up to 25 to 27 megapixels. You're getting all the computational stuff, but without the processing. And it's just, you're not getting all the edge enhancements, you're not getting... um, It's just so much better. Even like uh, shadows and highlights, it hasn't made decisions on how it's going to process those shadows and highlights. You can do all that. So you don't get you're just in full control. And with um, software like Adobe Lightroom that's very well-tuned to process those images, you can end up with some amazing images. But, but this is where it, now the iPhone falls flat. I go out hiking really early in the morning to get sunrises, and I stay out late to take sunsets and this is my uh, mi 11 ultra that is just in a different league so for getting pro raw when the light drops starts to drop and it's just, you have to use the mi 11 ultra not in pro mode you can still be in auto you can still be in jpeg because that main sensor and the ultra wide are still pulling in tons of light easily and as the the sun sets or the sun rises let's take sunset the sun drops and you go into blue hour, the iPhone uh, 12 Pro Max is useless. It's not useless. It just doesn't take the same shot. It's full of noise, even with Pro Raw, and it just does not have the detail. I'm shooting half hour into 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 Blue Hour post the sun setting and still coming out with spectacular shots. Absolutely spectacular. And I'm not having to use the Pro Mode. I mean if you put it into Pro Mode, you know you can do all sorts of things. But it's just so good having those big sensors. And the Xiaomi processing, I quite like. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's not heavy. It's natural. And if I want to enhance it, that's up to me. But it's it's really good. So I think with all three phones, you can actually have best of both worlds. If you had the iPhone and you had the Mi 11 Ultra, with the Mi 11 Ultra, you've got a very good five times optical zoom on there. You've got a very good quality ultra wide and an exceptionally good main sensor. Um, and if you use the iPhone for things like live photos, video in particular, it's I think video is very good on the iPhone, and perhaps doing sort of dim clo- sort of not close up, but just if you want to take a picture of someone and the light was a bit dim, the LiDAR sensor does help a bit. Yeah, a bit yeah. More natural. Um, they all have pros and cons. Personally, for I would say I exclusively now take photos on the Mi Eleven Ultra. I think it's just that much better. But I'll take video on the iPhone because I think it's very good. Yeah,
1: I think everybody agrees the iPhone is king when it comes to video. Yeah. There's just no doubt about it.
0: But if I wanted to go uh, out somewhere like as a tourist, I would take the S21 Ultra because there are times when you can use that 10 times optical zoom there's a lot of times when you can use it and you'll get a shot you just wouldn't get on the other phones. That's that simple, really. So do
1: you feel like, I've used all three phones, the iPhone very little, but the Mm. Mi 11 and the S21 Ultra, the Mi 11 Ultra, I should say, Mm. and the S21 Ultra a lot. And I love them both very much. I agree that Xiaomi's processing is really great. And I also Mm. feel that that 50 megapixel Samsung sensor in the main sensor of the 11 Ultra is the best sensor of any sensor on these three phones but i'm also very impressed still with the 108 megapixel sensor from the s21 ultra it does very well in low light as well and even though i'm not as big of a fan of samsung's processing i still think that it can hold its own and as you said if i had to pick one i would probably pick the s21 ultra but if you don't need the flexibility of the 3X and 10X telephoto and you're happy with a good 5X telephoto and also a really solid ultra as you said, you know, 48 megapixel each, then I think the um, the Mi 11 Ultra is, is definitely one of the best phones out there. It's a big
0: phone, though, but then again, so it's the S21 Ultra, right? It is, and also I've, um, it's fairly new in terms of I've had it probably just a month and a half and it came with, I think, UI 12.0.2 out of the box. And only in the last um, last week, I got 12.5.2. And that was mm-hmm. a massive update, a massive improved the phone just enormously and the camera. But the next update, which takes it past the magic number, which is 12.5.4, because 12.5.4 is what DxOMark used to test the camera firmware. And once we go beyond that, that's when we get the full chops on that camera. And I'm really curious to see how my sunrise and sunset photos, they're absolutely amazing as it is, but can it actually get any better. So I'll be right. really excited to see that difference. Is it going to be that much, or even if it's five or 10% better? That's a lot. Because when you're dealing in that level of lighting, you need the best you can get. And I don't use night mode either. I just once, Because sometimes I don't like the night mode processing. The processing, yeah. Yeah. I want the natural shot, and then I can work with that better. We'll see. I'm very excited for it. It's the one phone I thought, I've got this. No one's getting it off my grubby hands. I'm keeping this... <laughs> I don't blame you.
1: Um, You know, do yourself a favor, try to get the P40 Pro Plus or wait for the P50 series. And then also try to get yourself a Vivo X60 Pro Plus. I have one. Okay. And it's not quite in the same league as the Galaxy S21 Ultra and the Mi 11 Ultra, but it does have that 50 megapixel main sensor from Samsung as well. And it has a 5X telephoto and a 2X telephoto uh, which oh. they call a portrait lens. It, it doesn't have stabilization. It's 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 not OIS, but it is pretty good with EIS, and it's really designed for portrait shots. Mm. And it has a very nice ultra wide as well. So it's um, you know, I'd say a step down. But if I had to lump together five of the best camera phones, it would probably be in there too.
0: Yeah, I'd be very keen to try the Vivo out. It's it's one brand. I haven't tried or seen any of their phones. So I'm very open-minded to always try a new tech out, definitely.
1: Yeah, the nice thing about it is it's a slightly smaller phone, 6.4-ish, 6.5-inch display. And uh, it doesn't have wireless charging, which is a drawback for a BBK flagship. Mm. That's you know a bit weird since the Oppo and the OnePlus BBK flagships have wireless charging. But nonetheless, there's the only two things I can fault it for. It's a solid, you know, flagship in every other way. It's got a faux leather back and it's got like, you know, Zeiss lenses. It's got T-plus coating on the lenses like the Sony phones. It Mm -hmm. has some incredibly good sensors and some interesting optical focal length choices you'll see. And... Most importantly, is Snapdragon 888 to back it all up in terms of image processing. So, And it's a slightly different processing, again, from, you know, Xiaomi or Oppo or OnePlus or Mm -hmm. Apple or Samsung, right? I actually like Oppo's processing a lot. The Find X3 Pro, even though it's missing uh, a quality telephoto, is, I'm very impressed with that Sony IMX, uh, whatever it is, the uh, 50 megapixel bespoke sensor that it, matches on the main sensor and the ultra wide on that phone it's very cool you know
0: yeah that sounds good definitely
1: so listen i think we're done with the show i would love to uh, have you maybe uh tell us where we can find you on the internet so that the my audience can tune into your
0: content thank you very much well gavin's gadgets is the keyword, so you can find me on twitter at gavin's gadgets on instagram at gavin's gadgets instagram's photos only So that's where you can see all the sunrise, sunsets. I do share them on Twitter as well, but Twitter I do get into some conversations in tech as well. Um, My YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash C4CAT forward slash Gavin's Gadgets. And that's me. Very simple, really. I've got a website, gavinsgadgets.com as well. So very easy. Gavin's Gadgets everywhere.
1: Wonderful. So folks, check out Gavin's work. It's really good stuff. And particularly his photos, I think it's just phenomenal. There's lots of cool and fun reviews as well to check out. So I would look into that if I were you as well. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tank Girl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, both on Twitter and on Instagram. That means that if you want to have a conversation with me and Gavin about this podcast, go to Twitter, talk to us. If you want to check out my Instagram posts, the photos I take with all these fun camera phones we just talked about and photos of the phones I'm actually using right now, like that OnePlus phone, for example, go to my Instagram, same handle at tankgirl. There's a couple of YouTube channels you should subscribe to that go with this show. If you want to see video content that matches this show in terms of like phones that I'm talking about, check out youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast that is the main channel the main youtube so like subscribe tell your friends click the little notification bell all that good stuff and then there's a secondary channel that my producer and i are trying to develop that is more focused on peripheral content to mobile things like smart home car tech and travel tech, that kind of stuff. And that channel is youtube.com slash mobile tech more. We're trying to reach a thousand subscribers so we can monetize. So please subscribe, like, tell your friends, click the little notification bell, all that good stuff as well. I'd appreciate it. Then of course, there's the podcast that lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. So please subscribe. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, pretty much everywhere good podcasts can be found. There's also an RSS feed at the main URL and uh yeah so subscribe to the show if your app lets you rate or review the show please consider rating and reviewing the show it helps for discovery and then listen i have a patreon now it's been a few weeks and i've got a few patrons that are helping me out and uh, if you want to get some unique content that you can't get anywhere else it's not public like you want to listen to this podcast but on video watching me and gavin talk and you want it mostly unedited and you want it a couple of days before the audio version as an exclusive thing well guess what patreon's got you covered i've got a tier for that i've got a tier for a discord server you can join me and chat with me on discord all these perks you can get exclusively on Patreon, and so you should consider joining. I have a new patron this week called Jay, and I want to thank JD, and also want to thank Nicole for joining, Nicole T., thanks so much for being our new patrons this week. So, again, patreon.com slash tankgirl, that's patreon.com T-N-K-G-R-L, if you want exclusive content you can't find anywhere else, and you want to help support me make this podcast happen, please consider joining Patreon. And of course, if you don't like to use Patreon, there's another option. There is a PayPal link in the show notes. It's a link to my website, tankgirl.com. If you follow that link, there's a PayPal button there. You can make a donation of your choice. Again, I would appreciate any support you can bring to the show. And I want to thank our longtime sponsor, Audible. Audible has been with the show since the early days. They're a fantastic They are basically the platform for audiobooks. So if you love books as much as I do, if you like to read and you want to instead listen to books, Audible's got you covered. They're the platform of choice. So... The deal is a 30-day free trial where you get to keep a book at the end and it's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech, the URL. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you want to try Audible, no strings attached, get it for free for 30 days, get a book at the end to keep, check it out. Hopefully you stick around and continue because honestly, it's such a great platform. If you're constantly behind the wheel, like a delivery driver, or if you like to do road trips, you have to keep your eyes on the road you can listen to books instead. It's awesome. If your eyes are tired, listen to books instead. They don't have just books either. They have a whole selection of podcasts and other audio content. So yeah, check it out. audibletrial.com slash mobile tech and support the podcast. I want to thank Audible for being a longtime sponsor. And finally, I want to thank you, Gavin, for being my guest this week. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: And thank you enormously for having me as your guest. Very much appreciated.
1: Absolutely. We'll have you on the show at some point in the future again. And folks, we'll obviously have a podcast next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody.
0: This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.